Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, you're listening to The Slow Newscast. I'm Basha Cummings, but it's actually not my voice that you're going to hear this week. No, this week... The story of a billion dollar mystery about diamonds and tuxedos and private jets. A story really about the origins of Vladimir Putin's kleptocracy. It's told by my colleague Giles Wattel and it is really the result of a 20 year obsession of his. An obsession about who really is behind one of the greatest diamond heists in history. What's very important, Russia itself delivered to me diamond. It's not me delivering. Yeah. Russia itself delivered. And if you see uh, quality inside, this is rough diamond. That is a man named Andrei Kozlenok talking about diamonds. A lot of diamonds. Boxes and boxes of diamonds. It was 90 million. 90 million dollars worth. All belonging to the Russian state, the Russian people. Diamonds that he got his hands on in the early 1990s and disposed of. And is it true that it arrived in a jet? Diamonds that in some cases arrived on an executive jet. Jet, it can be private jet, it can be charter, it can be this. Kozlenok was the man in the middle of the strangest, most brazen jewel heist of the post-communist era. I would say that, wouldn't I? Because I've been obsessed with it for more than 20 years. And by the time I caught up with Andrei Kozlenok, that's how long I'd been looking for him. More than 20 years. But it is hard to think of a case quite like it, conducted in broad daylight over several years, with full permission from the authorities. And never in my working life have I been more excited to meet anyone. Kozlenok, who was then in his 30s, now in his 60s, was going to answer questions I'd been itching to ask all that time. Questions about a story for the ages. Larceny beyond your wildest dreams and the way it went right to the very top. It was going to be huge. Why huge? Because I've always thought of the tale of Andrei Kozlenok and his diamonds as the origin story of Vladimir Putin's kleptocracy. As the template for everything that followed. All the timber, the oil, the nickel, the platinum, the palladium. Their time would come. Billionaires would buy football clubs with the proceeds. But in those early years, nothing was more tempting, more transportable, more liquid than diamonds. There was a market out there ready-made to turn them into money, no questions asked. They were mined in Siberia. They were stored in strong rooms under the streets of Moscow. All you had to do 
was get them out of there. So how did he do it? Who was really behind it? And where did all the money go? I'm Giles Wittell and you're listening to The Slow Newscast. This is From Russia With Diamonds, Part 1. I was in Moscow for the Times in the late 90s and I passed through quite a bit in the early 90s and Kozlenok's story seemed to follow me everywhere. Actually, it grabbed me and it never let me go, even though when I first heard it, no one knew how it started or how it ended. But we can at least date the beginning. At roughly 1992, Russia is on its knees. The government has fallen apart, the economic system has fallen apart. The whole Soviet experiment has collapsed, and so has the ruble. Millions of Russian citizens stumble daily through the economic rubble left by communism. There are no pensions, none that are worth anything anyway. Old people are standing on street corners, selling anything they can just to eat. Surplus US Army rations are being served up in soup kitchens like this one in the southern outskirts of Moscow. Its recipients are among those left almost destitute by President Yeltsin's reforms. I first went to Russia in 1992. I stayed with an academic who'd been to the West for the first time for a conference. And his response was to have a nervous breakdown. The culture shock, the sheer abundance of everything he saw there was just too much to take. And I wondered then, what would happen to a younger person with more energy and sudden limitless access to that intoxicating Western drug known as money. And Andrei Kozlenok, in a way, turned out to be that person. For all my assets and all my money, Russia cannot do with me nothing because I not take one penny from state. Mm-hmm. He's tall, suave, charming, supremely confident, even though he doesn't speak much English. He claims to have diamonds in his veins, so to speak, to come from a family that had a stake in the Russian diamond business before the 1917 revolution. He tells me that his mother's side of the family used to own gold and diamond mines in the Urals and also in Siberia. Then again, he claims a lot of things. He claims to be an economist, a professor of accountancy, a scientist, as we shall see. What's pretty clear is that he was a chancer with a gift of the gab and nerves of steel. To understand what he pulled off with the diamonds, first you need to picture where they came from. Think about a a place that is literally full of treasure. Underground vaults full of uh, czarist gold coins, Fabergé eggs, uh, figurines, um, and of course Siberian diamonds piled on shelves reaching to, to the ceiling. And at a time when Russia is falling apart, the, the guy literally with the key to the vault is emptying it on, on Learjets bound for San Francisco and then selling it off as fast as they can. It really is one of the great heists of modern history, and we still don't know the scope of it. Today, David E. Kaplan is director of the Global Investigative Journalism Network. But back in the 90s, he was at US News and World Report, where he was one of the first reporters to break the Golden ADA story, or Golden Ada, as we'll come to see. Like me, he also spent years chasing Andrei Kozlenok. 
we tried to get him to talk a number of times. Uh, he he was most interested in keeping as low profile as possible. He had pissed off the wrong kind of people. Now, back in the depths of the Cold War, nothing was more precious in Moscow than hard currency. You needed it to buy Western technology, to pay off Western spies, to stock fancy shops for party apparatchiks. And so, to get more of it, Russia did a deal with De Beers, the founders of the original diamond cartel. De Beers got to control the supply of Russian diamonds, which otherwise could have tanked the world market, and Moscow got the cash. A lot of cash. About a billion dollars a year. Here's Mike DiPretoro, the FBI's first ever man in Moscow back in the 90s. As I understand the, the rationale behind uh, the diamonds from Russia going, going to, a, to San Francisco was that the, the Russians had entered into contracts with De Beers as far as the distribution of, of their diamonds, and they weren't pleased with that. And they wanted to find another outlet for their diamonds so that they could kind of break the or get around the monopoly that the beers had on the Russian diamonds. But it, it was, in, a, in some ways, it was a giant looting of Russia. I mean, Russia, very wealthy country as far as natural resources, whether it's oil, gas, timber, diamonds. And it wasn't just diamonds that were being looted. Thanks to his charm and possibly his background, Kozlenok was well-connected. His key connection in this story was a man named Yevgeny Bichkov. Bichkov was a hard-nosed, stern-faced former communist official from the Urals who happened to be a close and loyal friend of Boris Yeltsin's. And in return for his loyalty, when Yeltsin became the first president of Russia, he put Bichkov in charge of the state treasury, in charge of all those strong rooms full of diamonds. And it was Bichkov who was the head of Roskondragma, the organization, the department in the Russian Federation that had control of all of the minerals, the diamonds, the, the gold, uh, probably the oil and the lumber and everything else. I was only really concerned and involved in the diamonds. But uh, they were completely under the control of Roskom Dragmet, and the head of that, of course, was Eugenia Bichkov. Right. Okay. Does anybody want anything to drink or eat or? I'm good. We had a coffee on Jeez, the way all up. These guys are all good guys. What do you know? It's ten months since my meeting with Kozlenok, and I'm in Jack Immendorf's house in Napa, California. It's an '80s-style villa that backs onto a river leading directly to San Francisco Bay. You could sail straight from here to the Golden Gate Bridge. The sun's out. It's a nice little spot. And Immendorf has worked long and hard for it. He's well known in San Francisco as a private eye. And for a while, he was Kozlenok's chief executive. And that meant spending time with Kozlenok and with Bichkov. And Bichkov and... Uh, Andre, I, I don't know whether it's through friends or family or what, but they had a very good, strong relationship, you know, and the original scheme was dreamed up between them. As I understand it, it was Kozlenok who came to Bichkov with an idea. This was his scheme. Set up a diamond factory a long way from Russia, a long way from any traditional diamond centers. 
Send Russia's rough diamonds there, cut them, polish them, sell them, and return the proceeds to the Russian treasury. It was clever. The De Beers deal applied only to rough diamonds, make them sparkle, and they were free to sell to the highest bidder. And Bichkov could say he was doing better for the Russian people, making them a bigger margin. So Bichkov bought into the plan. Now at this point, Kozlenok is in his early 30s. Born and raised in Moscow, he's now at large in San Francisco. He's registered a company called Golden ADA, or Golden Ada, and is on the receiving end of a shipment of diamonds and emeralds and rubies and ancient gold coins, as it turns out, a shipment worth $90 million. For his scheme to look respectable, it needs an address, and he chooses 999 Bannon Street. It's a four-story building with black granite columns and an entire facade of glass bricks. And they wanted to build the diamond factory up on the fourth floor, but the owners would not allow them to do it. They couldn't get the lease or whatever. So they decided maybe we can buy the building. The building at the time was worth about six and a half million, I think. And they went down and paid them over 11 million. And they were out within 30 days, no shits. I'd have been out too. And they built the diamond factory up on the fourth floor. Apparently it was pretty impressive. You wouldn't believe it. God, it was impressive. When you finally got in there, then you were, then when you got up, you couldn't get to the fourth floor unless you had special clearance and a, a card that would let the elevator go up. And then you had even had palm readers. And then you had a Russian up there with a Kalishnikov. I have How many diamonds were actually cut there? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. Any? Oh, many. Yeah. Oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth, yes. Oh, I saw lots of diamonds. And we had a huge, they built a humongous walk-in safe on the fourth floor where a lot of these things were stored. Kozlenok bought a jet for the company, the latest Gulfstream 4, conveniently capable of flying all the way to Antwerp, the world capital of diamonds, in one nine-hour hop. He also got a helicopter a Kamov KA-32 designed for military transport. It was a massive machine with two rotors spinning in opposite directions. Jack Immendorf pulls out some photos to show me. Oh, this is them on the tarmac after he came in. And there's Andre. Here's Andre on the end. This is the first time they brought it in. So they brought it in and landed on the roof. And I don't think anybody understood the tornado that this thing created when it was coming down. The wind draft from that chopper coming down was so strong that it went into the air shafts of the building, went through the building, and it blew the doors off of the front of the building out into the street. Can you believe it? Of 999 Brennan. 999 blew the front doors off. It was unbelievable. And so when that plane took off again, and when we landed it again, (laughs) we were all very careful. Did you Uh, ever understand why it was so important to them that they could land a helicopter on the roof of their building? Oh, allegedly, when the jewels were coming over, you know, they could get them from the airport in San Francisco without, you know, having to travel through the city. I think it was a big fucking toy for Andre. Everything was a toy for Andre, you know? 
I mean, this was this fantasy world these people were living in. Captain Marvel. So Kozlenok has a big fancy building in downtown San Francisco. He has his colleagues, a trading name, and he has what every business needs, a steady flow of cash. Of course, this cash inflow is going to attract attention. So Kozlenok needs something else. Protection. In Russia, they call this your krisha, your roof. It consists of connected people who will have your back when things get tough, who will shield you from enemies, and if necessary, from rules and regulations. How is Kozlenok going to get his krisha? He'll throw a party. It's February 1994. Well-tailored guests sip champagne, eat caviar, milling around the big chopper on the roof of Golden ADA. All of San Francisco's there. Nancy Pelosi, who's now the Speaker of the House of Representatives, she puts in an appearance. And Yevgeny Bichkov flies in from Russia. And I had the mayor, the chief of police, the fire captain, Admiral, uh, Admiral, uh, Admiral Tedeschi, I guess it was, from the Navy. I had a lot of really nice... I had them all get up into the cockpit and I took pictures of them all. And uh, we had a lot of fun, great party. More champagne and booze and food than you could ever imagine. All catered, you know, violin players, music, you know, everybody in tuxedos, absolute tuxedos. They tried to transport their notion of Accretia from Moscow to San Francisco, and and it didn't quite work. You know, they, they were using... Uh, uh, ex-Russian special forces guys with automatic weapons. Uh, they were hiring ex uh, and, and current uh, off-duty San Francisco cops. Uh, they hired a, a well-known private investigator, Jack Immendorf, because they thought he had juice and he knew politicians and, and, and started spreading money around and basically thought they could uh, ensconce themselves into San Francisco society, and that would provide political cover because everyone could be bought. That's how they were used to operating. At this point, the company is wiring money to Belgium, to Liechtenstein, to Israel, as well as Bermuda, where Kozlenok is building himself a $5 million home. In San Francisco, he lives east of the bay in a pair of mansions on a gated compound in the hills. And you wouldn't believe when you walked into a house, it looked like you walked into the, into the museum. I mean, there were, um, you know, like this one up here. Uh, uh, his were real. Yeah, Picasso. Picassos, yeah, he had Picassos. I think he had a Picasso's plural? Well, he had more than one. I mean, I'm not an art critic, but I mean, I, everywhere you looked, I mean, there were just nothing but, you know, unbelievable things. <laughs> he had a chess set <clears throat> that looked like it was, I, I don't know, the figures were made out of ivory or something. There were jewels everywhere. It was, it was unbelievable. By mid-1994, Kozlenok's spending is out of control. On one day, he strolls into a luxury car dealership in L.A. and buys not one but three cars, and not just any cars. Two Aston Martins and a Rolls Royce. They were like 400, 400, and 200, r- roughly. And he went down there. I think he had a million bucks. A million bucks. That's Joe Davidson, 
FBI special agent and a veteran undercover organized crime investigator. When they went up to Tahoe, they were gonna, they wanted to spend $12 million for a house. 12 million, right? They go up there, there was no homes for 12 million, you know. Um, there just wasn't any. And on what they wanted water, you know, some kind of water thing. They found these townhouses that were being built in, in collection, like in a deal, and they were two million each. So they had $12 million, so they bought six of them. They buy condos, they buy uh, a luxury car after car. Uh, they, they melted down tens of millions of dollars of these Zarist gold coins at LA's biggest gold smelter. Literally just showed up one day <laughs> with, with a van full of gold saying, oh, can, can you melt this for us? And, and you know, the, the gold dealer took the week off to, to help these guys uh, off and uh, that was sold off. What did you think of Andre as a person? Andre Kozanak, always a smile, and he tried to be believable, you know. Uh, even when you knew he was lying to you, you know, he'd be smiling and, you know, it, it's very manipulative and very good. What kind of things he did he did. lie about? Well, every, you didn't know anything he said could be true, really. And then he, he could be... a. He'd like to impress you at times, too. I remember one day he came in, I think it was on a Saturday, he was in jeans. He usually wore a suit, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a couple of rocks. I swear they must have been 20 or 30-carat diamonds, you know, just, you know, to play with your mind. For years, I tried to track him down. In Moscow, we had an office manager who could find anyone in any corner of the Soviet Union. She was brilliant, tireless, but she couldn't find Kozlenok. And I tried all the usual channels myself. I tried some unusual ones too, without luck. And then last year, I went back over everything that had been written about him when his story first broke. And I found a name, and then a number, and then, long story short, he's driving for three days across Europe from Ukraine to Antwerp in a friend's VW Golf to meet me. It seemed too good to be true. I wondered if David Kaplan might have any advice on how to handle him. Uh, well, the, the, the people involved in, in the actual looting were, were professional criminals. And this is one of the great heists of modern history uh, to expect the, the truth from them uh, even at this point, uh, 20 years later, where we still don't know what happened, it, it's probably too much to to, to hope for. Uh, the, even so, Kozlenok's never talked publicly to any extent before. I think there was one interview in Russian we found with him on the run years ago. So it, it would be great to, to hear what he has to say today. Uh, but you got to take it with a grain of salt. For take out diamond... You need 40, 45 signatures mm -hmm. of upper levels, you understand? It's ministers, it's special. In Russia, right? In Russia, yes, in Russia. A central mystery about this scheme is who really signed off on it. Because tons of state-owned diamonds simply don't leave Russia on a junior minister's say-so. When I asked him, Kozlenok told me 45 senior officials signed off on his scheme. And even if his 45 signatures is off by a mile, others had to know. 
Now, we were discussing before that you cannot get diamonds out of Russia without KGB, FSB approval. Yes, yeah. Everything to do with the diamonds was under the control of the KGB, Kozlenok told me. But when I asked if he'd ever been a member of the KGB, or of its successor, the FSB, he denied it. No, I'm not working. I'm never working. And this is... They'd wanted to recruit him, he said, and they'd tried repeatedly, but he says he always refused. They asked you to and you said no? Yeah, I said no. Uh-huh. All the time, no, and that's it. But am I right that whether they ended up leaving the building as rough or as cut and polished, yeah. the proceeds, they were still sold and the proceeds went... Technically, the proceeds of the sale of the diamonds or the polished diamonds themselves were supposed to be sent back to Moscow. But only a small fraction but did. But only small bits ever came back. You, you probably know that the, the kind of number that has been reported as missing is between 100 and 130 million. Does it's possible. That, that sound about right? I thought at the time it was more like 60 or 70 million. Okay. But... Have you got any theories about where it ended up? I mean... Yeah, I, they spent yeah. it. Look Look around. Okay. You buy a $20 million airplane, six yachts, two cigarette boats, six condominiums, a string of gas stations, apartment buildings, mm-hmm. limousines, you know, and start sending uh, tens of millions all over the world. They just squandered it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. 
The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. In 1994, Joe Davidson was part of a newly formed FBI squad working nothing but Russian organized crime. And his supervisor handed him a folder. It was the case file on Andrei Kozlenok and Golden Arda. I was just coming off my the gambling, money laundering, mafia case when Skip, when my supervisors dropped the, call it the open volume, the, the most recent volume, dropped it on my desk and said, Take a look at this. Tell me what you think. So that's the first time I read in depth. Mm-hmm. And I went all the way back to the beginning and I read the whole thing. And I went into Skip's office and said, I want this case. This was ready made for a wiretap. Customs had an informant. IRS had an informant. But we had no hard evidence. There was no phone numbers associated with these people. So they would say, OK, he's calling Bishkoff. Well, where's Bishkoff? Where is it? You know, where, where's the contact? We're sitting in a park in bucolic Clayton, California, a stone's throw from a sports bar, where Davidson, many years ago, wrote the affidavit that he needed to present to a judge to get permission for doing the wiretap on Kozlenok. You have to say you tried traditional methods and it proved to be, uh, not give you enough evidence to the whole conspiracy, such as pen registers. Right. So I have to say, OK, we tried pen registers. Yes, it did give us contact between this phone number and this phone number, but it did not give us the content of the conversation. Surveillance. Yes, we did surveillance here on Goldenada. We followed this person around, but we can't do surveillance in Moscow. So it doesn't give this informants. Yes, we have informants here, but we can't get informants in Moscow because the way the chain of command works, they're, they're going to know the people that are involved in this case will know that you have an undercover. So I have to address all those issues and say it would not give us the full content of it. That's why I need the wiretap. I have to listen to the actual conversations. But Davidson was stuck. He wasn't sure who Kozlenok was talking to on the phone lines he wanted to tap because he didn't have the full phone numbers. The AT&T data they usually used consisted of 10-digit numbers. Calls to Russia, complete with the country code, had 11 digits. So in every case, the last digit was missing. Davidson needed those extra digits, and he needed to get them from Russia. Now, before 1994, there was no chance, and then something changed. In June 1994, Mike Di arrives to set up the FBI's first office in Moscow. FBI had never been in Russia before, and law enforcement had never been there before. And... The Russians, you know, were trying to, were kind of feeling each other out. There was a lot of mistrust. He'd been in Moscow for just over a month when he got a call. It was from a group within the Ministry of the Interior, the Economic Crime Control Department, and it was headed by a senior officer named Viktor Zhirov. But basically, we got a call saying, where are you guys? We want to meet with you. We have something we want to discuss with you. And can you come meet with us? And we said, certainly, we'd be happy to talk to you. And so we went and met them at their at the um, MVD headquarters on Zhitnaya. And that's when we first learned about what they were doing and 
they describe it as a, a Balshaya problema, a big problem that they were investigating and and the diamonds that were leaving Russia um, and they weren't coming back and they described it as an as a major investigation which they're looking for the FBI to help them with on the US side of things. Davidson asked for Giroff's help identifying who Goldenada's owners were calling and Giroff traced the numbers. When he saw them, he wouldn't phone them, he wouldn't fax them, he wouldn't send them. He insisted on flying personally to the States to bring the information to Davidson. He wouldn't even put his bag in the hold on the plane. And the next day, came into our office, brought his records. I started copying. These are presidential dodges. Like I think there were three or four of them. He couldn't tell who was in it at any particular time because people would come at the, you know, Yeltsin would allow or whoever. But it's corruption at the highest level. Of course, it could simply have been that senior people were very concerned about what was going on with Goldenada in San Francisco. And that is certainly their version of events. But if Davidson is right, this was the Kremlin kleptocracy in action. The records Zhirov provided proved contact between the Goldenada crew in San Francisco and people in President Yeltsin's inner circle. Soon after he returned from California, Zhirov was attacked, savagely, by two men in the stairwell of his apartment building. It was directly attributed to the work he was doing on Goldenada. It was basically warning him off, you know, you keep going with this, next time we come back and it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be alive. In the next episode of From Russia with Diamonds, kidnap, body doubles, and the man from Moscow they called The Cleaner. Thanks for listening to this episode. This story was written and reported by me, Giles Wittell. It was produced by Emily Williams of Feast Collective and Danny Carissimi. Original music by Tom Kinsella. The editor was Basha Cummings. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.